Welcome to World Oil's Oil Field Electrification Technology Podcast, sponsored by Joliet Electric Motors, powering today's oil field for tomorrow's energy. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with my partner in crime, Shane Hackenberg. With Joliet Electric Motors, and I'm here with Jim Watkins with... World Oil. There you go. Nice, man. I like those plugs. We got those plugs we in got there. got it done. And we're in our favorite recording studio, which is the Blend Bar up in the Woodlands. Once again, cannot say enough about the Blend Bar. If you're ever in the Woodlands, Google it. Go there. Fantastic lunches. And then selection of whiskey and cigars like you will not believe. So definitely stop by and give them some of your business. Today, we have a very interesting conversation because we're actually going to talk about hydrogen in the upstream Ooh. as part of the mix. That's crazy, right? Yeah, it's been quite a buzzword lately. That is, that is. And there's a lot of hydrogen going on, but not so much in the oil field, I don't think. But our guest today, Trevor Keeney, who's the business development manager at RPT Alliance, he's going to tell us all about it because you're deeply involved, aren't you, Trevor? Yes, sir. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing me on. Happy to be here. Excellent, you're, excellent. You're right, the blend, this is an incredible spot. Isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, this, this is like heaven. This is, <laughs> you couldn't record in a better spot, I don't think. Well, and you can, you can actually have a nice salad, which we had today, which was the gym special. Yeah. It's a Caesar salad with uh, blackened filet mignon and with some blue cheese crumbles. Oh, man. There you have it, man. So good. Delicious. So good. Just ask them for that. Just You don't even have to open the menu. Just say the gym special. They'll go. know what you're talking about. So, Trevor, before we get started and talking about hydrogen stuff, how did you get in, involved in hydrogen and RPT? What's all that? Yeah, so I came out to Houston about eight years ago. First 14 years of my career was with solar turbines. Made a change back in 2021. Joined RPT Alliance, taking on the business development role for them. Hydrogen's been, it's been a topic for a number of years. Even in the solar days, folks were talking about high hydrogen as a fuel, introducing into pipelines. But the last probably 18, 24 months, it's really, really picked up. I think it was a small part of the discussion a couple of years ago, and it's gaining traction. RPT, we do a fair amount of work in the hydrogen infrastructure space. We've got some clients that are developing hydrogen infrastructure for transportation solutions. So I had an opportunity to learn a lot about that, as well as other clients that are looking at using hydrogen for fuel for peaking plants and you know, East Coast, West Coast. Everybody has that goal of increasing hydrogen, getting to that net zero, zero emissions space. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the connection? Is it just power or electrification? I mean, what's the connection between what you were doing at Solar and what you're doing at RPT now? Or is there a connection? Was it just a jump? Because you were there for a long time at Solar, right? Yeah, so Solar is a leading OEM. They manufacture gas turbines, compressors, wonderful company. They've got a great reputation across the world, very strong presence in the United States. Jumping over to the engineering side, so RPT Alliance is a solutions-oriented engineering and design firm, a group that's grown, founded in 2019. We're less focused on turbine and compressor at a plant right. where we're looking at projects. Yeah, right. So, so that just naturally opens you up to opportunities outside of that midstream space. So I first met Shane a number of years ago when at Solar was covering. I was getting ready to chime in, man. I was like, he's being very humble right now. This guy was a trailblazer back in the day with Solar. Go ahead, tell him about that. So I was given the opportunity to cover West Texas, go out to Midland, Odessa, get out to Pecos, you know, see where all the gas comes from. Solar is very strong in the midstream space, so that large gas transmission number of clients that were developing pipelines coming from the Permian Waha hub out to the Gulf Coast. So just uh, really, really fell in love with West Texas and what was going on out there. 
the other big piece where I met Shane was the, I don't want to say lack of electrical infrastructure, but that was a problem for ENPs having access to power. Worked closely at the time with the guys over at Lifecycle Power. I know you've had them on before. And then they had a nice solution to this problem that also had some environmental gains. And really, it was the economics that got them running. And it's been incredible several years for them. Absolutely. Yeah, you weren't joking when you said you fell in love with West Texas because you came out here from San Diego, <laughs> right? Right. Yes. Yeah, so San Diego is like my dream place, man. That's where if I had a gazillion dollars, I would retire <laughs> to San Diego. But you like it better here in Texas? San Diego is a special place. Always will be to me. Still have family back there. But we just, we fell in love with Texas. And it didn't take us more than probably two years to realize that we, we like the life we can live here in Texas and what we can do for our family and raise our kids in a great environment. And that yeah. the people are great. So. Yeah, no, it's definitely true. And the business environment is great, right? I mean, when you're talking energy, this is miles above what's going on in San Diego, right? Yeah, all, all energy. I mean, this is the hub of the United States. You got what? Calgary up in Canada, but otherwise, I don't think there's anywhere else to be. If you want to be relevant in energy, Houston's kind of the place to be. Well, really, yeah. really, regardless of what the rest of the world thinks, for the world, for that matter, in my opinion, that Houston is the epicenter for energy globally. Yeah. So. I think everybody agrees with that, don't they? Oh, I mean, no. the Saudis might differ, but I mean. I hear some thumbs up and chatter in the background. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk hydrogen now, because this is interesting, because, you know, this whole program is about oil field electrification and things that are going on. And we talked about a lot of different alternative power sources for microgrids and things like that. So how are you guys in your projects? I mean, what are people coming to you with? How are they trying to integrate hydrogen into kind of the upstream world? First thing I'll say is everybody's talking about it. You've got traditional midstream operators, the... Um Large transportation companies, they're looking at how much hydrogen can I blend into my system? What's the impact on the pipe? If any, can my equipment handle it? You've got a lot of gas turbines, reciprocating engines. The motors handle it fine, Shane. But um, <laughs> as, a, as a blend in the fuel, what does that do? What does it do to my system? What percentage can I take? And then the other question is, how do I get it out? Do I need to get it out? How much do I have to pull out before it gets into distribution? There's some studies about you know, some small percentages that are acceptable in your household appliances without issue, but there's a lot of questions. Everybody's looking at it in some capacity. You're starting to see a lot of these operators are now having director level or even higher positions focused on how do I transition my company to be an energy company of the future, right? Everybody wants to be around 10, 20, 30, 40 years so that everybody's looking at it. So that's kind of the oil and gas midstream space. You've got some of these operators TC Energy, for example, they've made some announcements publicly about investing in hydrogen hubs. Right. There's been some press about Nikola Motor Company, TC, both investing in hydrogen hubs. So Nikola, they're manufacturing fuel cell electric vehicles that run on hydrogen. They need the offtake. So they're kind of taking a two-pronged approach, investing in both the production with a partner as well as the vehicle. The other missing piece is how do you fill it up? So they're looking closely at hydrogen fueling stations. How can I fill up a heavy-duty truck? Kind of parity with diesel, where I got to get the economics down, but also want it to be the same look and feel as a truck driver who's pulling into a station and filling up in 20, 30 minutes. So right, right. it's those kinds of challenges. There's other companies out there, Hyzon as well, doing the same thing. Shell, there's a lot of investment in California and kind of ushering in a net zero future. And hydrogen's a piece of that for these folks. 
Hey, everybody, let me jump in here for a second just to thank our generous sponsors, Joliet Electric Motors. Without their support, this podcast wouldn't even be possible. So for all of your oil-filled electric motor needs, whether that's new motors, refurbs, field work, whatever you need, be sure and give Joliet a call. Remember, that's Joliet Electric Motors, powering today's energy and transition for tomorrow's energy needs. Let's get back to the show. Yeah. So when we're talking specifically about oil field stuff, I mean, that's an aspect of it because I hadn't thought about because we talk a lot about electrification, you know, for microgrids and things like that. But if I was an operator or not even an operator, could be a service company, and I have a whole fleet of vehicles operating in a basin, for example, that would be economically advantageous, right? To switch over to something like hydrogen where you can have your own yard where you produce it yourself, fuel your vehicles and have them run around and come back and fill up every night, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the range of these vehicles are going to be to the point where I don't think you could exceed it legally with the miles driven in a day. So if you've got regular routes back and forth, you use kind of the basin as a a hub, it makes a lot of sense. We got to get the economics there, right? Gray hydrogen has been around for a long time, you know, reforming methane. It doesn't check all the boxes from a emission standpoint because you're generating a lot of CO2, releasing that in the atmosphere to create hydrogen. Where I think the biggest opportunity, you know, you've got green hydrogen that's using electrolysis, electrolyzers, green energy. That's one aspect. But what I see, the blue hydrogen is going to be a big opportunity, particularly here in Texas. That's just, for those that aren't aware, blue hydrogen is the SMR process, but with CO2 capture on the back end. So you're still producing it, but you're capturing the carbon that's created in the process. So you're still in a net zero type. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why carbon capture is a big topic, right? Because, hey, we got plenty of methane out in the field that we can use for this, right? We got plenty of base fuel, but it doesn't do any good. I mean, you don't cut emissions if you're, you know, if you're just throwing that CO2 off, right? You have to capture it. And that's what you call blue hydrogen, right? That's the in-between, not green, not gray. Gray hydrogen is just when you're creating hydrogen, but just throwing the CO2 from the production off in the air, right? Yeah, and that's traditionally kind of how it's been created. I was looking the other day at a a report about hydrogen pipelines in the U.S. And I think it's 1,610, 1,606 miles in the U.S., but 1,600 of them are in Texas. I think that that would probably shock a lot of folks. That's a pretty the, good indicator where Texas is, is in terms of being in the forefront and being the implementers of bringing in new technology, right? I mean, oh, absolutely, it's an amazing yeah. statistic right there. Yeah. We're talking about energy capital of all energies, right? right? I mean, that's the deal. So let's dig down a little bit into that then. So you've been looking at this, you've probably seen a lot of reports and read a lot on this. Let's just say for pipelines, okay? Pipelines are made of all different materials. They've been in the ground for a long time, some of them, some not so long. But is there a mix that people have agreed on for hydrogen, for transporting hydrogen, that's pretty safe for everything, right? Like, can I put in 10%, can I mix in 10% and I'm not going to embrittle my pipes? That's the bad thing that happens with hydrogen and metal, right? It makes it more brittle. Is there a number like that or is it different for everybody? Everybody has to do their own study? I'd say I haven't seen a consensus. I've heard folks talk 5, 10, 20. In addition to the pipe, you got to look at your prime movers as well. The other aspect is when you, when you introduce, we're talking about a natural gas pipeline, you introduce hydrogen, specific gravity is a little lighter. You need more compression to move the same volume through the system. Yeah, I can introduce 10, 20% hydrogen, but what, what's that do to my system hydraulics? Hey, oh. I kind of like that idea of needing more pressure. That sounds like you might need some more horsepower. 
<laughs> bigger electric motors, that's, right? That's kind of what I was hearing right there. <laughs> Pretty excited about that. There's certainly an opportunity, and that's what folks are looking at. And that's why I think, you know, going back to the OEMs, they're all looking at how do I incorporate hydrogen into my strategy? I know from my time at Solar, they've got a ton of experience on high hydrogen fuels going back to China, coke oven gas days. I think all the OEMs are claiming 100% capability, and, and, and they can do it. The turbine's not the problem. But I think that's the first question. Mm-hmm. The second question is, well, what does it do to my compressor? Right? Right. These things are designed for natural gas, 0.6 specific gravity. Now you're messing with that. And then the, kind of what we mentioned earlier, okay, I blend it in, but how do I get it out cost effectively? There's companies, membranes that are removing the hydrogen out of the system. So it, there's a lot of opportunity in kind of solving these problems. I think they're, well... They're problems, they're challenges, but I don't think it's anything we can't overcome as an industry. Right. And there's been a lot of work recently, I can think of at least one company, right, that's working on making their large gas recips more compatible with hydrogen, right? I don't know what that is, metallurgy or something. I don't know how they do that, but that's something that people are looking at as well, right? Yeah. So there's, I'd say any leading OEM is doing some level of testing on hydrogen in the combustion system. There are also a lot of the smart ones are looking at carbon capture on the back end. It's a service that, you know, if, if I don't provide it as the OEM, somebody else is going to step in and I lose contact with my client, right, my customer. So a lot of the OEMs are looking at how do I evolve my product to support a transition, a certain hydrogen blend. I don't think 100% is difficult. There's a lot of smart people figuring that out. It's the economics of 100% that, mm, that, right. that I think the rest of us need to figure out how to That's get that. That's back to that E and ESG that we were talking about a couple episodes ago where it's got to be economical. economically feasible. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah exactly. exactly. I mean, nobody in the oil field wants to do anything unless it's as good and as inexpensive as what we're already doing, right? It doesn't matter if it helps your ESG rating. If it costs you more, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem, so... Yeah, and I look at the electric frack. I mean, that's how Shane and I met years ago. And there was an environmental benefit. There was reduction emissions. But I think the biggest value was not having a truck in diesel, the expense of diesel. Right. Being able to use field gas. The rest kind of... The maintenance cycles, too, was was a big OPEX cost savings. But yeah, reducing carbon or reducing the horsepower footprint. That was all part of it. That's taken off. There was, what, just a handful of electric fleets not too long ago and... You mentioned number. What are we at now? A couple we were talking. Or? I mean, it's. I mean, I think it was a little bullish there, but like a hundred fleets to be built or something like that in the next year or so. Not electric. Don't take that the wrong way for everybody listening. But, <laughs> but you know, in terms of just creating and delivering more horsepower into these fracked spreads, that's where they're going with this stuff. But my question, and it was a good segue. So, when it comes to powering these electric frack spreads, so will these guys will be blending in hydrogen on these turbines? Is that how they're going to reduce their, their footprint, their carbon footprint even more? Or will it be one day 100% hydrogen? Or I mean, it could. I think that's probably a long ways off, right? Because you, you got to produce it. you got to transport right. it. Those are pretty significant problems. I, but, I think, but why can't but, you produce it in the field? This is my question because, like, I mean, you need water, right? You need water. You get of water. plenty of water coming out of the wellhead, right? I mean, plenty of water there. Mm-hmm. Probably not clean enough to stick through electrolysis straight away. But if you clean it up... You have a source of water there, right? You have a source of the heat with methane and everything. So why not? Why couldn't you just produce it right in the field and then run your turbine 100% on hydrogen? Or is the production just not big enough? I mean, what's holding that back? Yeah, I think, you know, could it be done? Yes. Could it be done economically? (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Not from what I can see, you know, a couple years ahead. 
I think the power generation companies, the utilities are going to be looking at mm. transitioning using hydrogen. You know, maybe at some point it'll be some large hydrogen hubs where it's readily accessible at an acceptable dollar per kilogram. I think some numbers I was seeing in California currently, if you've got a light duty vehicle, they've got hydrogen refueling stations. It's about 16, 13 to $16 a kilogram where the state wants to get to $1.50 a kilogram. That, wow. That, that's, wow. That's a big spread. That requires investment, large-scale right. production. And I think one of the things the U.S. is pretty good at is scaling technology to make things economical. We'll just ask our administration for subsidies. I'm sure they'll be all in for it, right? I mean... There's, uh, there, no, but, there's... The, but the problem is, is you're oil and gas, so you don't get any subsidies anymore. That's the problem. Oh, that's right. right. That's a minor, that's minor a, hiccup there, right? Yeah, exactly. We'll exactly. call it something else then. We won't call it based on hydrocarbons or the energy. We'll make up something. No, everybody has to do a spinoff <laughs> subsidiary that has nothing to do with them, right? That's the thing. You can't be Baker Hughes and be expecting you're going to get some subsidies because they're not going to do that. Yeah, I see the word energy company now, right? A lot more than I, than yeah. I used to. Yeah, but, for um, sure. Yeah. No, it's branding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's an important thing because a lot of people are getting into these other things. You know, like I said, you know, we we're talking a little bit earlier about drillers who, yeah, guess what? We can drill a hole for oil. We can drill a hole for carbon capture. We can drill a hole for geothermal, you know? Yeah. So that's not just oil and gas anymore. Now you're talking about a larger spread. Although the real question is, is, I mean, I was looking at some stats the other day, and I think it's the International Energy Agency, IEA. They put out a thing, and they were talking about, you know, the demand versus the mix of energy in the world, basically. And basically, what they showed was oil and gas would be down slightly, but still, by 2050, oil and gas would make up 80% of the energy mix, and there's increasing demand, and that increase would be picked up by you know, green energies, alternative energies. But if 80% is a constant, right? If it stays at 80 or drops at 1% every decade or something like that, we, as the oil and gas side of that equation, we're the most important thing to clean up our act, right? Anything we can do to reduce emissions while we're producing this 80% of the world's fuel energy, then, you know, that's going to pay big dividends, yeah, and I think that's why you're seeing the investment you're seeing across the board. I remember back in West Texas, we thought EFRAC or electrification would be driven by government mandate, but it didn't. It happened under a pretty pro-energy president, and the market regulated itself. I mean, it led to lower costs of capital at the corporate level. You had public companies making decisions to invest in reducing their environmental footprint. I think it was a great move. It's a way to stay relevant and keep leading. And there are problems that we can overcome kind of as an industry. It's, it's just making the economics work. Yeah. So. And that's our forte, right? I mean, in oil and gas, we're always coming up with new ways to do things yep. better, faster, cheaper. I mean, that's kind of like the mantra, right? So, I mean, if anybody's going to be able to solve the problem with our industry, it's us within the industry. And interesting thing where you're talking about regulation versus self-regulation doing mm -hmm. it. But in reality, wasn't it the finance guys who regulated us, right? Because they were like, guess what? Unless you clean up your act, we're not giving you any more money. So think about that. And yeah. then all of a sudden, everybody was like, oh, okay, well, let's do what we can to clean up our act. So, I mean, there are mechanisms that are in place that aren't governmental regulations to make everything move in the right direction. But I was talking with a guy recently who was a CEO of a big company. And it was funny because he had mentioned, he said, you know, the rest of the world can come up with ideas. And we were talking about specifically about hydrogen. Said, yeah, Europe's a little in advance on hydrogen, you know. But he said, 
nothing really takes off. You know, nothing really grabs hold until the United States gets a hold of it and decides to get behind it. And once that happens, we know how to scale stuff, right? We're a big country, big consumer. We know how to scale things. And so, you know, he was laughing because he said, that's just the thing. You just don't know when everybody's going to coalesce and say, oh, yeah, let's do hydrogen. But when that happens, it'll be huge, right? I mean, all the industrial ship trucking all over the world. I mean, that's a huge amount of fuel consumption. I mean, just delivering your Amazon packages and stuff, right? That's a huge amount. So you, you look at port cities, right? You got a lot of concentrated folks already. Reducing emissions there makes a big impact. I want to say on in the transportation sector, about 30% of the emissions are from heavy-duty trucking. Right. right. Getting our goods from the port to the market between distribution centers. I mean, drive around mm. Houston, there's distribution centers everywhere. They're filled by a truck. So you mentioned... You know, if you imagine there's FedEx facilities, Amazon facilities oh, absolutely, yeah. here in Houston. And I mean, I've driven by gas stations where there's, you know, 40 Amazon trucks lined <laughs> up to, to get in there. Maybe there is a solution with having your own fueling center at the You mean Amazon's at the warehouse. not green? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it costs something to get those packages to you, right? You know, that's you know that'd be interesting if they, like, put the carbon footprint on your package being delivered from wherever it was from, right? Oh, you can, yeah. don't give any. It sounds like a tax. Possibly. <laughs> or a service fee. <laughs> no, no, it's the start. It's the start. That's the first thing they're going to do, and then they're going to find a way to tax you on that, right? They're going to just add that to the delivery thing. But hopefully then, that means that you guys being involved with hydrogen here in the U.S. and projects and things, you guys are going to be on the forefront of that, right? I mean, are there, a, I mean, you said there's a lot of companies looking at it. Are mm-hmm. there a lot of EPCs focusing on that as well, or is it mostly just a side business for EPCs right now? Ooh, there's a lot of studies. There's a lot of feeds, pre-feeds, but there's also some projects moving. I know Air Products has announced a large production center out in Louisiana. Air Liquide just opened a plant, I want to say outside of Las Vegas. Wow. So there's projects out there. California is kind of the leading, right? You've got the government incentives to reduce carbon emissions. Hydrogen's a piece of that. So there's a lot of natural investment in that market. But again, I keep, everybody assumes it's, you know, New York, California, it'll kind of spread inward, but Texas is positioned uniquely to, we've got all the know-how, we've got the right technical folks, we understand how to move hydrocarbon safely, reliably, responsibly. I've seen other articles that you could see Houston as the hub, potentially. Yeah. Mm. TC Energy, they got a large campus here in Houston. They've dedicated resources to going out and building these production hubs. Nice. Great company that knows a lot about energy, gas transmission, also has a strong background in power generation. So, I mean, you you see companies like that getting involved in this space. And then they're also doing it responsibly with partnerships, right? I I know I can't do it all, so I'll find somebody that Mm -hmm. we can partner with in, in these hubs. And that's, I think, a lot of the public press you see is these... You know, they're providing resources to take a look seriously at this. It's no longer just something you hear at a happy hour or a trade show. It's the folks are putting money there to see if how we make this work. Well, let's hope that that continues and that you guys are involved with a lot of those projects because we'd love to have you back on the show sometime and you can tell us about some of the latest and greatest, you know, things that have been going on, especially in our sector in the upstream, because I know you guys are probably seeing projects all over the place for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But for us, I mean, I think it's fascinating. I think it's going to be an important part of the mix. So Trevor, thanks for being on the show. Wait, wait, I'm saying goodbye to Trevor. Shane, did you have any other questions? Oh, so I did this last time, right? <laughs> so I butted in and we didn't end it right away. I mean, you know, I try to, Jim does such a good job of asking really good questions and it gives me opportunity to kind of think and reflect. 
And so I like to kind of ask, you know, big picture questions at the end of these podcasts. So, I mean, three, five years, what's a crystal ball look like for the amount of hydrogen that's being utilized? Let's just say transportation, since we were touching on that earlier as a major segment and perhaps a user of hydrogen. Yeah, I think three to five years out, I think you're going to see a lot of investment in fueling to support the trucking industry. I see a lot of that opportunity starting in California, but I also see Texas is, is probably being a big part of that as well. So every 10 gas stations out there, what percentage would be have hydrogen? Like if there's 10 pumps, what percentage of that would be a hydrogen pump? So I don't think you're going to see it in an existing station, but you're going to see separate brand new or, or add-ons to an existing facility that's you know there for hydrogen. Well, since Texas is the epicenter, it's probably going to be Bucky's first. That will probably... <laughs> <laughs> probably initiate this right they gotta have hydrogen pumps i mean they're only, they're only this is a plug for bucky's you know unannounced <laughs> but i mean there are one of the few entities i've seen you know DEF or def where you can pump it out right there on the spot which they, is they've got def they've got the, the superchargers e. yep. now for teslas they I got mean, superchargers too yes the downside oh, with bucky's is there's no trucks so right. <laughs> <laughs> well it's gonna be a bucky's truck stop then there you go right next <laughs> watch door. out loves here you go <laughs> there you or go if you're west texas alsup so we'll just leave it at that <laughs> But yeah, no, you, you could see something like that out west. You've got a lot of energy. You've got a lot of oil and gas being produced right in the middle between kind of El Paso and Dallas. There's mm-hmm. a lot of trucking going on out there. So we'll see. Three to five years is pretty quick, though. Yeah. Okay, Jim, that's my last question. All right, good. <laughs> All right, Trevor, thanks again for being on the show. Yeah. Shane, love the deep yeah. thoughts at the end. Man, that is the best. I'm kind of like John Handy now. I'm evolving in front of everybody's eyes or ears anyway. So. <laughs> All right. Appreciate you coming on, bud. Yeah, Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yep. Yep. And thanks everybody for listening. And yeah, be sure and subscribe. You know, any of your podcast listening apps that you have, you can find us in all of those. Subscribe so you get the next episode as soon as it drops. And once again, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to today's guest. If you have any questions related to today's episode, please email us at oetpodcast at worldoil.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Joliet Electric Motor that's been providing engineered custom motor solutions for the oil field for over 30 years. If you have any questions related to your motor needs, please email me at shaneh at joliettelectricmotors.com. Electric Motors.com.